it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Trey. Thank you for joining us for a Thursday edition. We are very grateful for your um, tuning in, I guess, listening, whatever the proper phraseology is. I am always uh, very, very grateful whenever someone uh, stops me, which they did. I was actually in, in, I've been in a lot of different towns past week or so. It's hard for me to keep up my advanced age with all the places I've been, but invariably someone will say that they have enjoyed hearing me as a guest on Mary Langston's podcast, which I take as a compliment. So thank you for, uh, for listening and for letting me uh, participate in what has become her podcast. Hello, Mary Langston. Hey, Trey, how are you? Yeah, I think I'm fine. Honestly, I've been on the go so much. I I, I don't know. So oh, if I'm, well, you don't know man, where you are and what's going on and what time it is. Well, I do know where I am, but I wouldn't <laughs> I, I wouldn't like want to answer a whole lot of questions after that. I mean, I've been from the from an island in the Caribbean all the way to Idaho, and then I just went to a little island off the coast of South Carolina. And when you hear the word island. People may think glamorous and resort and vacation. You should not think that. <laughs> not, not, not for the two trips I've been on. You should not think that. <laughs> you should think Gilligan, as in really? Gilligan's Island, which they just don't know me, Mary Langston. You have absolutely no idea what that television show is. I've heard it mentioned, and I think there's a jingle that goes to it. Are you going to sing it? <laughs> Um, my dad would not let me watch Gilligan's Island. Oh, so you don't know up. the jingle. Well, I do because, you know, just cause my, you know, my dad worked during the day, so he didn't really know what I did during the day. <laughs> he, he knows that when he left the house, he told us what we were supposed to do, but he doesn't know what I wound <laughs> up doing. So yes, he, he did. I did honor, I did honor his request. I did not watch Gilligan's Island in his presence. <laughs> which is the way I understood his request. But it's a, a story of, I guess, one, two, three, four, maybe six people, maybe six or seven people who were in a boat that um, was in a storm and they wound up on an island. It was, I'll get this wrong, I'm sure, the skipper and Gilliland and the professor and uh, Thurston Howell III and his bride, and uh, there was Ginger, I believe, and there was Mary something. Was it Mary Ann? I don't know. I don't know However many that is. Good. <laughs> you know I'm not good with math. I have no idea how many that is, but it's less than 10. So <laughs> that's a long way of saying it was a whole lot more like that than it was like going to some exotic, nice uh, place and you know laying out by the pool it does sound like you may have watched the show based off of how you know the names but 
oh, we're yeah. glad you're back home and hopefully you're happy and can play some golf at some point because the yeah. weather's getting better here. It is. It was very, very windy off the coast of South Carolina. Incredibly windy. I did play golf, um, but playing golf <laughs> in 40 mile an hour wind is, um, is, is a challenge in and of itself. Uh, and yes, um, you know, my father had a pretty long list of shows he did not want us to watch. Uh, Happy Days, Gilligan's Island, Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. But you get to a certain point in life, Mary Langston, you you have never gotten to this point in life because you, you would still do what your parents told you to do, <laughs> even at your age. But you get to this point where you're, you know, you're an adult. You're, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, and you <laughs> decide to start making decisions for yourself. And, and that's kind of where I was. One last question on that note. Did you get to watch the Carol Burnett show? Or was that out too? Or you may not have been interested in it. So uh, question. How how long have we known each other? For a long time. Do, what what do, do you think I watched the Carol Burnett show? No, but no. you know, you, your sisters may have. No, they watched it. They were allowed to watch it. So no, they watched it, and my grandmother watched okay. it. And they and I know you love Carol Burnett, and she just celebrated her 90th birthday. She did. And the reason I the reason I'm laughing to myself <laughs> is because my wife was in there watching it with the same look of exuberance that you have on your face when Carol Burnett's name comes up. And and I am dumbfounded as to both of those. So I know y'all have a lot in common. I did not realize y'all had Carol Burnett in common until I walked through the den and and she looked like she was at Carolyn's or Six Flags watching Carol Burnett's like some show about her. Yeah, we had texted about it. So we were both looking forward to it. So it's funny you mention it. But yeah, yeah. I was curious about that one and won't ask you any other TV questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. unless she was on professional wrestling, I would have missed her while I was growing up. And I don't recall her being on professional wrestling. <laughs> well, we have a lot of great questions today. There are a variety tray. There's law. There's politics. There's everything in between. Um, so are you ready to get started? I don't know. Not not with that <laughs> intro, I'm not. No, I, 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 I'll try. I'm, I'm sure you'll be great. We appreciate you pick two topics I don't know anything about. So let's hope that there's a sports question or some like worthless trivia question about geography in there somewhere. Well, not necessarily this week, but maybe they'll send us some next time. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay. Well, we'll start with the first question, and it's from Henry. And he writes, what is going to happen with the U.S. debt crisis? So we're starting pretty serious. Uh, yeah. You know, Henry, I, I'm going to try to answer this question in a, in an apolitical, non-hyperbolic way. So when you think of debt, um, I mean, Mary Langston, you, you and your husband own a home, right? Or y'all are in the process of buying a home, right? Yes, sir. We own one. Okay. So on one side of the balance sheet would be an asset, your home. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the balance sheet would be a liability, which is whatever you owe on your home. And ideally, and knowing you, 
the home is worth more than what you owe. So mm-hmm. you have debt, but your balance sheet is really better than than just the debt. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. So the United States has a ton of assets. I mean, <laughs> well, we got a really, really big, big piece of land. We got <laughs> lots of equipment, bridges, roads. So if you look at it, that way, yes, there, there, there's a tremendous amount of debt, but there are also assets. It's not like that money was set on fire. That money mm. went for purposes, for reasons. I think what gets Henry's attention and really should get everyone's attention is every year, I think, since President Clinton with a Republican House, Every year we have run a deficit. So every year we have spent more than what we brought in. Mm-hmm. And the cumulative impact of that, these annual deficits, is that we have a $30 trillion plus debt. The debt is the cumulative effect of all those deficits. So now I want you to think about a pie chart. Did you ever look at a pie chart when you were in school? Mm-hmm. All right. So the biggest part of that pie chart, which is which is labeled budget, is mandatory spending. And the word mandatory, I'm pretty sure, I think it's Latin, comes from mandamus. Mandatory, you have to do it. And then you got discretionary spending, and that's all the agencies, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Interior, Uh, The Department of Justice, federal law enforcement, all of that is considered discretionary spending. So I'm going through the different parts of the pie chart, but there's also this part of the pie chart called interest on the debt. And you can imagine as your debt gets bigger, the amount you have to pay to service that debt gets bigger, right? So the reason people should be worried I mean, you should be thankful that there are some assets on the other side of our balance sheet. I mean, we've got great military equipment and, and, and lots of other things, lots and lots and lots of assets. What should concern people is there's no appetite at all to eliminate the deficit. And if you don't eliminate the deficit, you're never going to work on the debt. And if the debt keeps growing then the interest on the debt is going to become a bigger and bigger part of your pie chart. It's a bigger and bigger expenditure every year. And what I used to tell people is pick whatever program you want to do away with. You know, when when you and I were in D.C., people would talk about, you know, foreign aid. Why are we giving money to countries that, you know, don't like us or don't love us or don't support us? You know, why are we giving foreign aid? Well, you can zero out all of that. Spend no money at all on discretionary spending. No foreign aid, no federal law enforcement, no Department of Interior, no Department of Agriculture, no Food and Drug Administration, none of that. Zero all of that out. You still have a deficit. For just this year, that's how out of whack our budget is. So whenever a politician says, I'm going to balance the budget, I'm going to cut aid to countries that don't support us. 
there are a thousand reasons you may can find to cut aid to a country that is not friendly to us. But balancing the budget would not be one of them because it's not going to balance the budget. You can do away with every single penny of discretionary spending and you will still have a deficit. The only way to tackle the deficit and therefore the debt is to do something about mandatory spending. And that is Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. It is uh, veterans benefits, which no one hope no one has any interest or appetite. That That's a promise that you made to people. You got to keep that. Social Security is a promise that you made to people. Medicare is a promise that you made to people. So what politicians ought to do is say, okay, Mary Langston, you're young. You're not going to be able to stop when you're 67. When Social Security was implemented, your life expectancy may have been 71, 72. I mean, thank God, because you don't have a single bad habit. You're probably going to live into your late 80s. I hope you live to be 150. Mm. But you're you're probably going to live into your late 80s. So let's assume that you start drawing Social Security when you're 67. That's 20 years of drawing, mm. as opposed to when it was designed. Actually, when it was designed, if you were an African-American male, your life expectancy had you dying even before you got benefits. Mm. By the way, that's a bad retirement plan. They're going to take money out of your paycheck. They're going to save it for you. But according to the actuarial tables, you will be dead before you draw the first check. That's not good. Mm. But we're living longer. And this is a very, this is a, it's not a complicated issue. It's a painful issue. Because, you know, I got to tell your generation, you may have to work six more months. You may have to work 12 more months. I've got to tell people who are wealthy, you're going to have to pay more into Medicare. And and politicians don't like doing that. And so what you have are some presidential candidates who are saying, we don't need to touch Medicare or Social Security. And that's just flat out wrong. It is It is demonstrably false. But yet we have the tendency to want to hear what we want to hear. And if we think that we can balance the budget by cutting out waste, fraud, abuse, foreign aid, you can zero all of that out, zero it out, and you will still have a deficit. And then for the two people that are still listening, our friends on the left talk about raising more revenue, raising taxes. You can tax the so-called rich at whatever rate you want. And you're still not going to pay off the deficit. You can't tax them enough to pay off the deficit and start working down the debt. So I, I get that it is politically expedient to try to pit one part of the country against another and say, if only the rich would pay their fair share. Well, they they already pay, what, 35 percent? What's the top rate? 34, 35 percent? So you mean to tell me that's not um, that's not fair? You what do you want them to pay fifty? Okay, say so they pay fifty. You're still not making a dent, not making a dent in the debt. So both sides don't want to talk about what needs to be done if you're going to do what Harry's asked, which is tackle our debt and deficit crisis. Neither side is interested in having a conversation because it is a painful conversation to have. 
And that used to be what leaders did, but apparently not anymore. Well, thank you so much, Trey. And thank you, Henry, for that question. You can say thank you after that. You can say thank you after anything. <laughs> well, you did break it down for us. And I did feel like we were in a classroom. It took me back to Wofford, actually, when I think Tim Scott was teaching about maybe some of this, too. Yep. He, he went over to the blackboard. And as soon as he mm -hmm. gets a magic marker and a blackboard or a whiteboard in front of him, you can just <laughs> say goodbye to the next 45 minutes of your life. There was a lot of writing and a lot of circles and everybody was listening. So I did have a little taste of that um, with your answer just then, Trey. We just didn't have a blackboard or a whiteboard, whatever you call no. it. <laughs> well, my, my handwriting is also atrocious, so it would not have helped you if we'd had one. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Our next question is from Ken in Missouri, and he writes, Why do you address your guests who hold the position of attorney general with the title general? And I think he's talking about the show maybe on Sunday. Yeah, that is a great question. And uh, yeah, it's probably talking about Alan Wilson, although I'm, I probably have done it with other attorneys. Alan Wilson is the attorney general for the state of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. But I know I've also done it when I have talked to other to, to the attorney general for the United States. I guess I've met one, two, three, four, five, six of them. Um, but Ken asked a very good question, probably to save time or avoid having to say out loud the whole title. It's you know easier for me, I think, to say General Wilson than Attorney General Wilson. I mean, that's not a great answer, but that's probably why I've always done it. I mean, obviously, the Attorney General is not in our military. They don't, he or she doesn't have any military rank. It's not a military position. But on the other hand, for, you know, 20 some odd years, I referred to my dear friend, uh, Steve Denton, as either sergeant or captain, depending on where he was in the sheriff's department. My dear friend, Tim Metz, may have been a major or a captain. I've, we, use those, we use those terms in law enforcement, too. Major, captain, colonel, sergeant. So I probably should say Attorney General Wilson. Kent Ken is probably right. It's not, it's not probably right. I should say Attorney General Wilson or Attorney General, whoever I have on. I I think it's just a bad habit. I've done it. I did it all the way back. Well, we all did it. When I was the, we call it solicitor in South Carolina, but the district attorney, there were 16 of us. And the Attorney General would come. Uh, speak to us once a year, and every one of us referred to the attorney general at the time as a general, whatever happened to be him, whatever his last name was. So definitely not military, not trying to denote or connote uh, military rank, but, but neither am I doing that when I refer to police officers as captain or sergeant or major. So 
Or I could just I could blame you, Mary Langston, and the other people who helped me on the show for not, you know, interrupting me in my earpiece and telling me to go ahead and quit being lazy and say attorney general and not just general. So I think I'm just going to blame others. That's that's usually that's that's pretty much what I've done for most of my life. Well, at least you're not saying just AG. I mean, I guess you could say that, too. Yeah, yeah. But mm, I don't think you would say that. Chances of me doing that are not good. (laughs) And hopefully Ken is not an attorney general. (laughs) He did not say, Uh, but I doubt it. Well, I'll bet you if Ken is an attorney general, somebody has called him general before. And and, and honestly, the military has never entered my – I mean, there's a reason – that we call him or her attorney general or solicitor general. Um, that's another that's another role in in the U.S. government. Most states don't have them, I don't think. Some do, but solicitor general has got nothing in the world to do with the military. Well, thank you, Trey, for answering that. And thank you, Ken, for the question. Our next question is from Robert. He writes. Why does the legal system not hold the parents of juvenile criminals accountable for their children's behavior? Sometimes uh, the system does. Uh, the civil justice system, for sure. I think he said legal system, right? He didn't say criminal. Well, no, he said juvenile criminals. Juvenile account. criminals. Mm-hmm. Well, the civil system does for sure. Uh, the criminal system would depend upon the facts. We don't have a lot of vicarious criminal liability in our country. Um, You know, if, you know, go back to my youth, my parents are two of the most law-abiding people uh, on the planet. So, you know, for me as a 15 or 16-year-old sneaking out of the house and going to do whatever in the world, I'm not admitting to anything, but hypothetically, I mean, my parents have, I mean, it's not like my parents said, yeah, go do whatever you want to do. My mom, if she listens to this podcast would be mortified to know that her beloved son did sneak out of the house. It's one thing when the parents have no idea what's going on and you got teenagers that can drive or are old enough to sneak around. It's another thing when the parents do know. So if the parents do know that their kids are drinking at home and then go and get in the car, there could be liability for that. I mean, we saw in Michigan, there was a Michigan school shooter case. The parents knew, or there were enough telltale signs that the parents should have known, and they were charged. Mm -hmm. But when you think about crime, we got to think about it this way. To hold parents accountable, there has to be a legal basis for doing so. In other words, there has to be a statute to charge some offense. There is no statute that says you must be a good parent. You must be conscientious. You must know where your children are. There is no statute that says that. So a legislative body would have to draft a statute that could pass constitutional muster, but but also would hold parents accountable. And I'll give you an example. Truancy is a perfect example. Uh, when I was the DA, we did hold parents accountable if their kids were not in school, but up to a certain age. I mean, if, if, if your kid is seven, 
and you're and I had a case like this and you're just too lazy to get your kid to school. That's on you. If your kid is 16 and you drop them off at school or you put them on the bus and they never get there, there's not a prosecutor in the world that can win that case. And there's not a cop in the world that would arrest in that case. So there is a way to hold parents accountable, responsible. It doesn't always have to be the criminal system. It can be the civil system. But if you want it to be the criminal system, you have to have a statute that is drawn in a constitutional way, narrowly tailored, and separates out the parents that are trying to do a good job, but you know their kids are just are, are better at doing wrong than they are at monitoring it. Um, you, just, you just have to you have to draft the statute in a way that that's not over inclusive. So, yeah, I'll leave it there. Well, thank you so much, Trey. That's a complicated issue. So thank you for breaking it down for us. We'll be right back after this. Our last question is from Melanie on Twitter. She writes, how far down the congressional chain do taxpayer funded vehicles, drivers and security go? And do adult children of presidents get taxpayer funded security? And if so, why? Uh, the first part of that question, Melanie, is not very far. I think, if my memory serves me correctly, it's the Speaker of the House, the Majority Leader, the Minority Leader. I can't even remember about the whip. Um, let me think for a second. Was Stevie was Stevie Scalise the whip? He may have been the whip when there was a shooting uh, during the uh, baseball practice where Stevie was shot and. And so were, I think, some members of his security detail. So it may go down to the whip. But it, it, so that's what on the Republican side right now, that would be one, two, three. On the Democrat side, that would be one, two. Um, certainly not for chairpersons, certainly not for ordinary members of Congress. So out of 435 members, I think we can come up with what? five at a minimum and seven at a maximum that have what we call a security detail. Uh, those, uh, those, those are government vehicles. They are driven by the officers, by the security detail, of course. Uh, Kevin uh, McCarthy, uh, just to use him as an example, I can assure you does not have a government car back home in Bakersfield, California, where you know he can just take that you know, if he wants to go through the drive-through at the In-N-Out Burger joint. Um, he doesn't have a government car. Why does he have a security detail? Um, lots and lots and lots of members of Congress have threats against them. And uh, some of us never even reported them. Um, some people do. Some people do report them and they investigate them. Uh, I will not call her name because I don't think she's made it public. She was a friend of mine on the other side of the aisle. Very, very serious threat. I think that did wind up resulting in a prosecution. So the reason that you have a security detail, you, you don't have a vehicle or a driver without a security detail. Let me just start there. <laughs> there are no, now, now, let me be fair about this. Can a member of Congress have a campaign vehicle that's paid for with campaign money? You can, you can only use it for campaign events, but the thinking would be, 
Well, if you can get reimbursed, not only if you can get reimbursed, you are supposed to be reimbursed for the miles you use uh, campaigning. Um, and I know this is going to sound crazy to people, but you can't spend your personal funds or there's a limit to how many personal funds you can spend or you got to keep track of it. So there's a there are all these rules and regulations about how you track miles. You can have a campaign vehicle, but I'm not aware of any member of Congress that has a government vehicle. The security detail has a vehicle. And if they are assigned to provide security to someone, then they would take that car. Um, I also, I also want to say this, the men and women who do the security are such wonderful people. I, I met a ton of them when I was in DC because I was, well, you know, I was around, I was around Kevin a lot, uh, was around, I don't think I was ever in a car with Boehner. I may have been when speaker Ryan was speaker. I may have been with him I, and I was around him for sure, but whether I was in a car with him, but Kevin for sh a lot, wonderful, wonderful people. Um, their job is to provide security for him. It is not to provide convenience for him. It is not an extra set of hands to help him, you know, get his luggage in, it is security. Um, and I will also say this, um, anyone who thinks that it is fun having three to five people around you all of the time has never had three to five people around them all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, John Radcliffe, had a security detail when he was the director of national intelligence, whether he wanted one or not, he had to have one because he's a high value target for our adversaries. So he, Mike Pompeo is going to have a security detail, whether he wants one or not. Secretary of state, head of the CIA. So when Johnny, Johnny came to see me while he was the DNI, um, look, they were wonderful people, and they do their absolute dead-level best to not kind of be in the way, so to speak. But anyone who thinks it's fun having people in and around you all of the time, it's not. So how far down the food chain do taxpayer-funded vehicles go? Not very far. Drivers, only if it's connected with security detail. Do adult children of presidents get taxpayer-funded security? That would be up to Secret Service. And um, I don't think so. I don't know. So I don't want to act like I know. I don't think so. Unless, again, there is an active threat. So sometimes you get a security detail just by virtue of your position, irrespective of whether there's an active threat or not. And sometimes there are senators that I used to eat dinner with that had a security detail because of an active threat. Ordinarily, senators do not have security details, but because there was a specific fact pattern they decided, and it's not up to the member. The member doesn't say, hey, I, 
you know, saw a really scary movie the other night, and I think a bunch of people are out to get me. I need a security detail. It doesn't work that way. You report the facts, they analyze it, and they decide whether or not that threat is significant enough to warrant a security detail. So I hope and think, I hope I've answered the question. If not, Melanie, um, hit us back up, and I'll try to do a better job. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for breaking those down for us. And thank you all for sending us your questions each week. You know what my hope and my goal is? What is your hope and your goal? Just one time you're going to say, Trey, that is 45 minutes of my life I can never have back. I don't know why it takes you so long to answer what should be very straightforward questions. Mm -hmm. But you don't. Every time you say thank you so much, mm -hmm. it is so warm and encouraging. But don't you think it'd be funny if just one time you said, good gracious, are you through yet? <laughs> I don't think that I'm capable of doing that. But, you know, maybe Radcliffe could come on at the end at some point. I don't know. But yeah, I do know would, that he might it do it. <laughs> he wouldn't make it to the end. Speaking of security detail, his probation officer would come get him for, <laughs> for the drug test before the end of it. So, well, thank you for always being so kind, Mary Langston, even even when we both know that he, that we may have actually paid off our debt in the amount of time I took to answer the question. No, yeah. no. We appreciate it, Trey. Seriously, people write in and say thank you. Well, I hope they keep coming with the questions and... um Thank you for letting me answer them. I hope you don't mm -hmm. you know, pivot and go to someone else that <laughs> has more knowledge. It would it would not no. be hard. To, wouldn't be hard to find them, but um, but thank you for letting me help you with your podcast. Thank you for letting me be on your podcast and for answering the questions each week. And we hope that y'all will continue to send us questions. They always leave us thinking and wanting more questions. So we appreciate it. We sure do. We hope everybody has a fantastic week and we mm -hmm. will see you next week. Y'all have a great week. Listen ad free with a Fox News podcast plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad free on the Amazon Music app. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.